I invite you to pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, as we come this morning to this holy hour, this hour that we set apart on our Sabbath day to worship you together, stir in us something that might see your beauty and your majesty in all that you have made and also in our everyday practices. It's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're beginning um, on this new sermon series, but before I do that, I want to tell you a story about, I would probably call it my conversion story. I know I've talked a lot about it, but I don't know that I've described like the moment when I thought, yeah, I'm going to follow after um, this God who came to us in Jesus. And I remember I was at this Young Life camp. Young Life is a parachurch organization that supports local churches by ministering to the youth, and they have amazing camps. And I was at this Young Life camp called Castaway Club in Minnesota, um, and it was right after every day uh, they'd have a couple clubs, they called them, but basically like a couple chapels. And so at, at the end of the day, they had um, they'd just given a talk, and I remember I had already been introduced to Christianity. I had already been embraced lovingly by Christian community. Uh, Chuck, my Young Life leader, was just amazing. It was always there to root me on at my track meets and other things. And so I already started to feel this connection to our triune God, to Jesus. And then I was just there, though, in that moment, and there was something that was just asking this question, like, are you going to seriously engage? And so there I was, and I, I prayed a prayer, and it was something like, oh, I want to say, God, I have no idea if I even believe in you, but I just am not sure about what I'm going to do next. And then I just decided I was going to take some time in silence. And I was just going to just reflect for a little bit. And I was there sitting on the ground, and I, I told you in my morning prayer, if you're with us in the morning prayer, that I was going to tell a story about grass, because all of a sudden, my eyes went to the grass that was in front of me. You know, it was everywhere. It was this giant lawn. But for whatever reason, my attention focused on the grass. And not just the grass as a whole, but all of a sudden, it focused on a blade. That's just like one single blade. And this was just like a thick, luscious piece. And so I picked it up and I looked at it. And I saw, you know, the center line with the lines that came out. And I just saw the detail and the ornament of just that one blade of grass. And I remember in that moment the words that came from some of the Young Life leaders that were teaching us during that week that said that God loves you so much. God knows you more than that blade of grass, every hair on your head. God knows you. And that this God who created this entire beautiful world also has this acute focus to even be able to design these blades of the grass, to even be able to know us in and out. And it was in that moment that as I looked at that blade, I started to say yes to this calling that had been reaching out to me before I probably even understood how to respond. It's at that point I decided I'm going to give this 
shot. Give this a shot to follow Jesus, to participate in community. And I had that holy moment, not in a cathedral, not even around my favorite thing, which is the communion table. You know I talk about the communion table all the time. I had it in this moment when I experienced God's grace, I would say, in just focusing on that blade of grass. See, because we've created, at some level, this divide within our church. At some point along the way, we decided that some things were sacred and some things were secular. That some things are worth God's attention and that some things, well, they're just there. Or they're negative altogether. So after I committed myself to following Jesus, it didn't take very long for my friends to kind of give me that clear list of what was good and what was bad, what was holy and sacred and what was secular. And so things like the music I listened to, the people and the things that we did when we hung out, all that got put in the secular category, which was another way of saying the sinful category. And then I got a whole new list of things that were holy. Christian music, Christian community, reading my Bible, journaling, praying, all of these things started to pile up on the list of the things I should do and then the list of the things I shouldn't do. And even so, and, and one of the interesting things about that is that as I was given the list of the things, it, a lot of it had to do with stuff that was in my head, like the things I thought, the things I prayed about, the things, and granted I did stuff, but it was also, it was more important what I was thinking about in that moment. And it took me a lot of years later to get to a point that I realized that there's two dualisms that I think the church has inherited over the past few hundred years. The first is this sacred and secular list of things that are bad and then things that are good or holy. But then the other is also similarly the things that are physical and our body and what our body is doing and what's around us, like, and then what is spiritual. And I think that the church has identified with these, this like two platforms of our being, you could say, that the church is about these sacred things that we set our minds to, our hearts to, our beliefs to. And then everything else is more kind of the tangible stuff that we do. And I could go into an entire philosophical kind of treatise about where we inherited that from, but I think that it's a rather new way of seeing the world. For example, the term secular was a term that was created as the uh, German intellectuals were viewing what was going on in various uh, kind of conquests and colonialization of other areas. And so the term secular started to be developed as they were going to these places and tried to describe what they were like because they didn't have a religion that they could pinpoint. And somewhere along the way, as they started to name them as secular, that secular also got intertwined with bad. And so the people that were different in their religious identity were not just different, they were also bad. And along the same lines, those same German intellectuals that were unable to go throughout the world because it was post, because uh, they were just weren't able to get out there as much, they started to identify this 
faith as primarily a heart thing and a mind thing. And so when they looked at all other religions of the world, they'd started comparing religions, and that's when comparative religions came about, and they started to focus on the heart and the mind and not really about the do. Because the Europe had been very disenfranchised with people telling them you had to do stuff, right? Because it was the, Revel- the Reformation movement went away from some of those rituals that the church had inherited. And it wasn't until I found myself learning from a Buddhist priest in Kyoto, Japan, when I was teaching English, that I realized for the first time the importance of connecting our body and our mind together. I had never learned that in any of my Sunday school classes, my youth groups, my sermons on Sunday morning. No one ever, ever would say something to the nature of, your posture affects the way you worship. My posture? So if I'm looking up versus looking down, but that Buddhist priest was very clear that my ability to meditate was affected by my posture and the style that I was sitting. Fast forward to divinity school, and I started, I brought that experience with me, and I was in a class called Introduction to Christian Spirituality, and I was blown away by the reality that this body-soul dualism is a new thing, and in fact, there was Christians throughout the millennia that did talk about the importance of our bodies, and the important role they play in our faith. That there is no division. I mean, a lot of times people would take the words of the Apostle Paul, who we read this morning, and talking about the flesh, and the flesh is bad, but my spirit is willing. And they think that is like the emphasis that he wanted to get by, that we had to live in that dualism. Our everyday bodies matter. But not just our bodies, our everyday lives matter, right? Because that's the thing, right? So it's not just this body-soul dualism that we've lived into. It's also this idea that some things are secular and some things are sacred. And I think that's one of our struggles that we find ourselves in right now as a church. Because the ways that we have come to see the sacred are ways that we're not as able to connect to in the same way. We can't be in person for Bible studies. We can't be in person and gather in this sacred space on Sunday morning around our common table, the communion table, and be in fellowship with each other in the way that we had been before. The holy moments that we had come to cherish and to love have been somewhat seemingly taken away from us. But throughout this series, I want just for a minute for us to remember the blade of grass, for us to be reminded of the words of that Buddhist priest in Kyoto, that we can find God everywhere. And see, I'm not necessarily going to lead us down a path. I know that some people might think that it's down a path of this like new age spirituality, that God is everywhere and we can just go out and experience God. But there are practices, 
regular things that we can focus ourselves on that reveal God to us and also are consistent throughout the history of our tradition of the church. Do I believe that you can go out on a walk and experience Jesus? Absolutely. Do I think that there are specific practices that we can focus on that can help us understand God's grace more fully? Absolutely. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, well, he and Charles, and um, they talked about ordinary means of grace and unordinary means of grace. John Wesley said that prayer, reading your Bible, coming and experiencing the sacraments, community and fellowship, and then I think that there was one more that I'm missing right now, but that those were the ordinary means of grace, that you experience God most regularly in those activities. But then he also said that there are these extraordinary or unordinary ways of experiencing God. And in some way, somewhere along the way, we've forgotten to remember those. I wonder what it would be like if we lived our lives as if everything had the possibility to be sacred. I know when I say that, I'm reminded of people that tell parents, because that's the world I'm in at home, right, that every moment's a teachable moment, right? And this, like, weight comes on me. (laughs) And I remind myself of just that the look that I gave my son or daughter and the words that I use and everything I do has this moment. And I think that is true. And that's the same about the experience of God's grace, In all moments of our lives, God is available to be seen, to be heard, to be experienced. But do we look, listen, pay attention? What would it be like if we lived our lives that every moment, the breath that we took, the the ground that we walked on, the food that we ate was sacred? How would we live our life differently in those moments? Will we be as wasteful with the things that we used if they were opportunities to find the sacred? When we encountered a new person, we'll be so quick to judge and to put them in a box of what we like or don't like about them if they were, in fact, an opportunity to experience the sacred. Will we go about our chores, washing dishes, doing our laundry, if even those were opportunities to experience this holy, loving God? That's the question that we're going to be exploring together, and we invite you on this journey with us. We're going to go from things like the practice of getting lost to the practice of encountering others to the practice of pronouncing blessings, to the practice of saying, not yes, but no. And each one of those have deep tradition within our Christian heritage. And each one of those are everyday things that here and now you can experience. Everyday opportunities to experience God's love and God's grace are available to us now. 
One of my favorite, uh, and I say probably favorite too much, but one of my favorite biblical images is from the, books of, the book of Proverbs, which a lot of people read later on, and it's this list of do this and don't do that, and do this and don't do that, which a lot of the book of Proverbs is. But if you read the book of Proverbs, and that's what you get out of it, you're missing something extremely beautiful and probably the most important component of the entire book. And that's the beginning narrative of this character called Lady Wisdom. Sophia is what the Orthodox brothers and sisters have come to call her. And in this depiction, they have the opportunity, Lady Wisdom is up on the rooftops calling out to us. And we are wandering the streets in our busy lives, and Lady Folly is there to tempt us in. In your everyday life, God is speaking over the rooftops in things as minuscule as a blade of grass. Do we attune ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in anything and everything? And if we did, how would that maybe change the way we live? How would that maybe change our perspective on this time when we're unable to do some of those sacred things that we've come to love so dearly? And how might we experience that longing that so many people have for something more, something divine, something wholly other, that is to say God's love for us? So I invite you on that journey. And this week, I invite you to reflect on that, to find one thing that you can focus on. It could be anything from the cup of coffee that you're drinking in the morning and the trail that those beans have had since they made it into your cup. I don't care what it is, but just something that you might pray that God would reveal something to you in that. And then tell us about it. Share with us. Share with us that experience. I was at a conference in in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, and they put different objects like a a piece of wood with moss on it. And everyone around our small group table would describe something that that could maybe reveal about God's love to us. And it sounds silly, but it's available in every moment, in every place of our lives. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and the worship team is going to come, and we're going to sing a new song that you haven't heard before. We stumbled upon it as we were planning for this sermon series. It's called Everything is Sacred. And so as you reflect today and think about what you might focus on, I invite you to reflect on the words of this song, which I just, I just, I've come to love this song. I was listening on the drive-in, and I'll be listening on my way home. So I invite you to pray with me. gracious God, and give you thanks that we can experience the beauty of your love, whether it's in the morning as we rise to greet the sun, or before the sun, or after the sun, however you wake up, or the moment when we lay our head and go to sleep. You are always with us and always more willing to proclaim your wisdom and your love and your grace over us. 
if we were to but tune our ear, open our eyes, and open our hearts to you. Amen.